0: Good, yeah AJ yeah. Kozak, alright man, we're getting into this AJ, I found on Instagram, guys Found him on TikTok, and he does the best Gary V impression Gary Vee a freaking hero on this podcast, man We oh. had we had Sean Malay here um, I saw that you were talking with Sean Malay at a VCon So, AJ, what's been up, man? I know you've been in the comedy game for a while But um, where, are you, where are you coming from right now?
1: Uh, now I am coming from my hometown in New Jersey Where I just moved back to I was in Los Angeles for the last 10 years okay Mostly doing music for film, television commercials. Uh I play in a band called Distant Cousins and we've been in the grind on all things music for the last like seven years or so. And I went to the Berkeley College of Music. I studied music there and then began doing music for film and television and I write for some theme song stuff and T V shows. I work with DreamWorks and Netflix and some of the some of the guys in the game and that was uh that's been my sort of day job for the last decade or so. And then comedy was this like neglected child of mine. Like I always had it in me, but I wasn't nurturing it enough because there wasn't so much of an outlet for it while I was busy doing the music stuff and the music stuff was keeping me busy. So like in show business generally, like you have these different lanes that people do and they don't always overlap Yeah. until social media comes around and I start using Instagram and then primarily TikTok when it was sort of fresh and not a household name yet. I started just on a daily basis, consistently posting some music stuff and then a lot of comedy stuff, impressions on a daily basis. And as that started to pick up steam organically, I began building this nice little audience and started doing more impressions. And one day I threw up a impression of a certain someone who you mentioned at the top of the show. (laughs) Yes. And that one, that one gave me a little TikTok moment there that got a lot of attention. So when did you actually move back to the East coast pretty recently? This past summer, uh, last summer, it's probably almost a year now, but in the the end of the end of last summer, I moved back. Have you found
0: that New York slash New Jersey where you're living has been better for the comedy scene?
1: You know, it's hard to say in the age of like COVID and post COVID where everything was bad. And my experience in the LA comedy scene kind of came in the aftermath of COVID finding you know the first rooms that started opening up um because what happened was when i started to get some attention on tiktok that was that was february of 2020 so i was like okay i'm ready to take some of this stuff out and start to do more stand up right and, and so that's also the-
0: that's also like a perfect time to start tiktok right then right like a month before quarantine
1: yeah but in terms of a comedy scene i was ready to break into and start doing cuz i had been working clubs on the music side for years so i'd been I'd been doing that and I had been playing and performing live for a long time but stand up itself I hadn't done a lot of it yet but I was ready to sort of start putting together everything I was you know and everything I was coming up with and doing it and taking it to the stage and then pew
0: Dude, that's hilarious Because I February 2020 um, I had told you initially Just quickly I was working at my dad's company At that time For five and a half years Real Mm -hmm. estate company I was a property manager Uh, i basically just be All over buildings Making sure uh, HVACs are working Making sure Everything's right With the building Whatever rent's paid So February 2020 Like that's when I was ready To jump into comedy Full time Mm -hmm. Do the podcast The vlog and comedy shows And then I was like Holy shit I guess I need to stay For another year Help my dad out Not Mm -hmm. making an excuse In that way but but you open
1: the door in the cliff and you were like dude, <laughs> <laughs>
0: literally I was doing this podcast I was kind of ready to go and then um yeah man another year went by but uh May last year so May 2021 is when I started to do comedy full-time right. so was there like a moment where you I mean you like got TikTok and you were like wow I can really do this like as a full-time living job situation
1: I I would say that what TikTok taught me was the power of building your own audience. And sure. I think for a long time, I looked at social media as purely a promotional tool to say, like, hey, come check out my stuff that I'm doing over here. And I would put my energies into things and I would look at it as, you know, I, I put all this time and energy into a video or something that when I post it, I'd assume that you post it, it goes viral if it's good. And then you get all this attention. And then I realized with TikTok that a, that it's not a commercial; it's the show. Like TikTok, it is not is not it's not like the promotion. People come to TikTok to be entertained, not as a means to find your entertainment elsewhere. Right. You know? So once I became consistent with that, I used it as sort of a. I approached it more with a fitness approach, like show up every day, post consistently, as and don't post. Hey guys, I'm a comedian. Come check me out. It's like no, post something directly entertaining because that's what people are coming to these platforms for to be entertained. These are broadcasters and you have to be the show, not the commercial.
0: Do you find that when you put these TikToks up, like the audience kind of came naturally and organically, or did you feel like, Oh, maybe I do want to also promote myself here. Like do come to my show at this particular time.
1: I found that when I began approaching it without the expectation of getting something in return from an audience or a viewer, But rather me. It sounds like that generic sort of entrepreneurial thing, like just give value, and it is like sort of the Gary Vee thing: give a lot of value without expectation. Well, how would you say that? (laughs) Well, honestly, (laughs) if you if you're if you're promoting shit with expectation, you're gonna fucking lose, right? Like promote, and it's not about the money. It's not about the fucking money. Okay, you want to lose everything and have fucking humility on some real shit, Ted. Seriously, (sighs) right? That was your problem. You were doing with expectation. Right, and that's why you're gonna fucking lose, dick. Um, so I, but but in truth, taking taking the advice to heart, yeah. putting stuff out there. What I realized was, you know, the first Gary V video I did that went semi-viral, I had already been posting for like two months on TikTok with very little going on. I was just doing it to do it as a daily you know, five days a week, get into a consistency about it. And then one day, and
0: then one day you were just in your car and you just decided, Oh, Gary V is a guy that I could potentially make fun of. He
1: he came across as an option. Like anybody else I was feasting on. I was just like, I'm just so sick of fucking 20, 40 year olds complaining that like, they're not killing it. Right? Like if you want to win fucking move to Louisiana and start a fucking peanut butter brand, right? Like fucking peanut butter. And I, I wasn't (laughs) even going to post it. I was just like, eh, I think I could get this better. (laughs) I was like, I think I could get this down better, yeah. and and I kind of just and I posted it, and then like hour later, the rest is history. It started to just. How did that video up? do, by the way? So like, I had been getting a couple of hundred views on a videos before, then maybe one that got to ten k, one that got to eighty on the, you know, and this was a, like, you know, I don't know, hundreds of videos, like a bunch. I don't know, five days a week for two months. Do the math. It was a lot. It was a bunch of videos, and a couple would pop off, and you don't see these overnight things. You're just like, okay, great, that kind of felt neat, but then this one. You know, I refreshed an hour later, 10K. Oh, refreshed, 25K. And every time I would, it was like a 1,000 views every time I refreshed the video. And it would just go. So I was having like a moment there. And I'm like, and then Barstool Sports reached out and asked if I was the originator of the video. Can we have the footage? We'd like to feature it. And they featured it. This was like on a Thursday. And then Barstool featured it the next day. Uh, to like 7 million people on Instagram and in that, and Gary noticed that one himself and they said this guy's literally Gary V went to Twitter went to everything and I wouldn't say that anything blew up overnight but it did go from not feeling like I had a, an audience to feeling like I had an audience so like from a couple hundred people following I maybe uh, 2000 people were following and then I would when I was posting I was like okay I'm sensing a relationship here that's forming you know that there are people on the other end of this when I put something out there. And that was nice. And that's sort of the, all of that is laying the foundation to eventually going full time and having an audience that can sustain you. But even that takes a much longer time and much longer game than people realize because everyone can give you a like and a follow and a this and a that and a lot of good feedback, which is great. And then that next level or that next step, the next evolution of what you're doing as a creative is getting people who are not only followers but supporters like Those, to stick with you yeah the thousand true fans who will show up for shows yes, pay yes, yes. hard tickets and and contribute on patreon i'm, I'm not even at, the, at that point yet i mean i'm at the point where i'm building the base and then we will start to see how uh how uh how i will convert in you know out of the thousands upon thousands and hundreds of thousands of followers that are out there like who's there to like show a up. headlining gig or something yeah like a headlining that. gig and even people who would become patrons on patreon sure, things sure. like that but i find that i whenever i Whenever I dig too deep on that point or get impatient with that, the feedback I get from people who have done it, they're like, you're doing the right thing. Just just keep doing it. And eventually, it's not like it just happens for no reason. It's like eventually you will discover how to monetize this audience. So, if you try to do it too early, yeah. if you try to manufacture, you know, you can ask, you can try things. There are techniques. There are things that people do, which I'm still figuring out. But to answer your question, like that's how I discovered it It can be full time. It's just it's it's just a long game. And as you're and in entertainment, as opposed to other industries, it's sort of like money follows the success, not the other way around. So it's not like you're paid and then you're successful because you're paid. It's like you're successful and and then eventually people start to contribute to that success in other industries. It's like I feel like it's a little more even where as you rise amongst the ranks, you get maybe a salary in a more structured environment that reflects you're rising up the hierarchy and in entertainment, you get this perception of success where you're like, man, you're killing it. You're doing this and that man. And then people think you're getting all of this financial reward for it and you will, but there's a delay. You know, there's that, there's that, you yeah. know, there's that building the audience and then you start to see the rewards and you're planting all of these seeds and it's like you're farming and you're planting these seeds. Then it rains and you're like, okay. And then these crops form everywhere and you, even, for, you even forgot where you planted them, but you're like, Oh, I've just, because I've been, I've been, you know, tending to this field for a long time.
0: So I'm not how, I'm not sure how familiar you are with um, maybe Sam Ramsdale. Have you ever heard of Sam? No. So Sam uh, came on the podcast before she had a viral viral video during the quarantine. I think Mm -hmm. it was probably like, I think right around like June of 2020. She had, she has the world's biggest mouth. So she went on TikTok and she was like, I want to see your cheeks glow red, red, something like that, some video like that. And it got 80 million views. And then from that point, she kind of discovered her audience. And now she's able to like sell out shows like at City Winery, Wall Street Theater, all Mm -hmm. over the place. But it seemed like her TikTok uh, kind of grew that authentic audience in order to like sell out shows and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Do you find that more people are noticing you for your comedy or for like a specific TikTok that you've done?
1: um more people i mean i think people are noticing me generally because of the tiktok stuff obviously like like my jordan peterson impressions and gary v bits and stuff that got me to vcon so everyone at vcon knew who i was yeah and you definitely got to talk about that yeah yeah but going. that got me they, so i when people come up to me who do recognize me it's like i love your tiktoks sure they're not naming a tiktok okay. i saw that one thing because i've had some videos that pop off to a few million along the way but mostly I, one thing i'm I credit myself with as being very consistent and I'm always on a daily basis putting out one or to several videos a day. Yep. And there are people who I talk to other fellow ones who are like, man, like my out that that talk about and have credited me with output that I'm very consistent on. Yeah, man. Stuff. I mean, I
0: checked out your YouTube channel. Like, I thought I had a lot of YouTube videos. Yeah. I have around 400. You have about 500, man. So I haven't I, even
1: counted. <laughs> yeah, dude. So, well,
0: when you click on your thing, it says yeah. how many. But, yeah. um, like, just in general, like, I know how hard I've been going on YouTube the yeah. past, like, two and a half years. But to see somebody who's gone equally even harder, right. um, it's definitely uh, definitely a great thing to see. So the consistency and the grit has gotten you to a point where, I mean, where do you think it takes off from here? I mean, going yeah. to VCon, an enormous event, you were on stage in front of, I don't know how many people, 15,000, something like that? I don't know. Maybe yeah, that many? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but like having the respect from Gary V and um, other people who work for Gary Vee, obviously. So what do you think the trajectory is? Yeah.
1: So the funny thing about the new media space that we're in, like the TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, social media space, as opposed to legacy media is you don't really know where you stand. What do you mean by what's legacy media? What mean? As in like getting on a network show, people one's big break in the nineties and two thousands was, yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. I got cast on the show and now everyone knows who I am. Yeah, and then you're on the so show you after can, yeah, and you can, and then you do press and then people come and take pictures with you and they, and, and then people maybe show up for you. You kind of have a better sense of, of where you stood in one place and then where you stand afterwards in terms of how known you are and where you you know, your ability to say, draw, An audience or, you know, how much attention you're getting in terms of the public space with people like your audience. You have a little bit you had a sense then of why and and how to quantify it because like you're on a hit show and now everybody knows you that makes sense. But with TikTok and YouTube, this stuff is all being out there. You're putting all the stuff out there and it's a little mysterious as to who is consuming it. I mean, you can go through the metrics and things and find out where people are. But people come up to me. Like, I wonder sometimes when I've, when I've been at, uh, you know, I, I was in the city. Just I was like in New York City at one th- and at some comedy show, and five people came up to me. Hey, man, love your I like, and I was very surprised. I was like, oh, because like you see comments, you see flesh and blood human beings yeah. commenting, but you just you don't know where your audience is. It's a little. It's very dispersed. It's out there in the. In the internet's, you don't know where they are. So, what's interesting trajectory-wise is, that at one point in time, and then like post VCOM, which we can talk about, where everybody knew who I was. It was like, can I headline and sell out such and such room? Or you know, like you feel unknown because you've been posting from your bedroom or your—I've been posting from my studio, my home studio, doing this completely on my own as a solo operation with no infrastructure, and yet these platforms are allow, allowing the content I put out to reach hundreds and thousands and millions of people but to aggregate them into and to connect the dots to bring people in person it's sort of unknown maybe i could because i've spoken to friends of mine in in the tiktok world who who are you know now headlining and doing the things you're talking about so i'm in that space now where right now for me i'm just making sure i'm ready for that in terms of you know being prepared with material and 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 a set that that's ready to go you know building up from a tight seven to a tight ten to a tight fifteen along the way because I don't want to be in front of a whole audience of people that I filled up a room and at least not have my best foot forward. Yeah, like I think I would,
0: that's something that's I think that sometimes happens with people yeah. who build a social media presence super fast. You know, they'll get to five million on TikTok mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden somebody want the a club wants them to headline for sure. five hundred people. Do you find that you're balancing the social media platforms kind of the same or do you kind of lean towards one, like which one do you think gives you more exposure?
1: I mean, in terms of numbers, I have the most amount of followers on TikTok, but I don't know what a follower means on TikTok yeah. value-wise in terms of if that person is... I, I, think, I think in the hierarchy, a subscriber on YouTube is probably the most committed follower I, I would say I that think, too you know they like each each a, a subscriber versus a follower on instagram or tiktok they mean kind of different things because if someone goes out of their way to describe on youtube they've searched for you or they've come across you in a suggested thing in a different way than on tiktok which has a different algorithm and structure to it tiktok is putting things in front of people so they're like oh that was funny follow and then they'll forget about it but youtube requires a little more of people seeking out specific things and it's a search engine. It's not the way TikTok operates, which yeah. is putting stuff in front of people. And, and like
0: lo- longer attention spans. Longer
1: attention spans. You could put up higher resolution things. Right now I'm, I'm focused most on the work and building the audience and even building and building up a live set that I feel comfortable filling a room with to present to because I don't want to do any of that out of order. I wouldn't want to you know, put all my energies into filling up a room and headlining and not, having, and not feeling comfortable enough or prepared enough with, with what I think is my best work. Because stand-up is a whole other thing, yeah. you know? And I think getting, getting in that place prematurely, it's not the worst thing in the world, but you want to retain that audience, too. You want them coming back. And I, I, I've always been very prepared, in terms of especially live, from the music side of things. And you have the advantage with music of rehearsing and getting to hear how everything's going to sound beforehand. But with comedy, it's a different beast where you have to put it through these sort of simulations of live... Mics and shows and small sets yep. to really get a joke to its final and that is that's been the hardest hardest part of stand up versus music is is you know with music you pretty much have an idea of what's going to go down but with comedy you, you never to, know
0: it depends on the crowd you, you
1: never know what the crowd and like you have to like refine a joke in front of people it, yeah. it's as if inviting every everybody who's going to come to your show to your rehearsals it's like God I can't imagine doing that from as a band but. That's just the nature of the
0: beast. I see you also have a podcast. How long have you been doing that?
1: I think we started that also last summer, end of last summer. And and
0: what was the kind of vision for that, for that podcast?
1: So me and a good friend of mine, one of my closest friends from childhood growing up, um, have always talked about it, but he was always East Coast and I was uh, West Coast. The Buckle Up podcast. Buckle Up with Mike and Ami. And we'd always had good rapport conversationally to talk about things for long periods of time. And you know how it is. You're just like... uh, one of the themes and features of our podcast is the creative process and also how to turn how to turn things that exist in your head into tangible real things because so many times we've all been on the side of oh i want to do this i want to do that i have these ideas i have this vision and it just stays there and it just grows and weighs you down so we're all about trying to take that out of your head and put it into something so the first step was actually doing the podcast and not talking about it. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a lot of kibitzing and schmoozing and talking. Kibitzing, I love that. Yeah. So that's the nature of <laughs> it. It's me and him, and we're having some guests on too, and a nice. lot of people uh, who come from our community, like the Orthodox Jewish community in the tri-state area, who have like gone out, you know, who have done things outside of the box a little bit in terms of creative pursuits and endeavors. So your family yeah. is Orthodox? Yeah, I'm Jewish. Yeah. as well.
0: Amen. It's like part of my
1: Uh, (laughs) Where in Jersey did you grow up? Englewood. Englewood. Yeah.
0: All right, nice. So I uh, was born in New Brunswick, spent Uh six weeks there in Princeton, and then I moved to Manhattan afterwards. Right. So where did you go to college? Berkeley College of Music. Oh, yeah, you said that. Yeah. Sorry, initially. but That you might know, have been before the pod. Yeah, 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 but you know people who went to BU, and we both know similar people. So sure. let's talk about VCon, man, because mm. that is a huge moment, and just even watching the footage from VCon, it looked insane. So kind of talk about that and just describe what VCon really is. Sure. Uh,
1: so this year, media icon, social media star Gary Vaynerchuk launched his inaugural conference uh, which was centered around his NFT Lips, project yeah. called V Friends. So Gary Vaynerchuk is, for those of you who don't know who, is, I, you know, he's like a <laughs> branding entrepreneur, consultant, runs VaynerMedia, Media, a massive ad agency, and has put out loads of content with advice on how to hustle and how to get started. Does in, he
0: remind you of? Sorry, does he remind you of like a Tony Robbins?
1: You know, a little different. I mean, Tony Robbins is very much you know self help guru. Stuff. It's his stuff slightly fluffier and like touchy feely kind of like the. I think the content, I mean, but the content is slightly different theme wise and flavor and style wise. Gary's a little bit more like
0: get off your ass.
1: I mean, like, yeah. And I also feel like some of his stuff is psychologically oriented. If you want to change a negative mindset, look in the mirror and say, stop. The number one thing John's holding you back is a false sense of negativity. So Tony's doing gotta that. Be
0: positive, right?
1: And Gary initially his brand was a little more about stop fucking complaining and get out there and fucking hustle. Stop complaining. You can Netflix and chill in your 40s. I think you should focus on building up your best Right? Like and then like and a lot of a lot of Gary stuff is really centered around utilizing new social media platforms and getting out there and finding your voice and doing those things. They're, co- they're colleagues. They've had they've done stuff together Yeah. Like so Maybe it's a similar space. Um, One thing that's unique in terms of Gary is that he he does give away a ton of things for free and you'll never find at the end of a Gary video. Click the link below if you want to buy my course on self-help startups because that'll fucking help you crush it. Like he sells books, he does keynotes, but most of the stuff doesn't come with a caveat of like now you have to click the link below to buy the thing. So that's kind of your indicator that a lot of it's not so suspect, you know, like he's just putting out a lot of he's pretty generous with his advice. There's just tons of content to consume, and 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 I've always found that like that's an interesting, uh, unique uh, approach. That that's sort of your indicator whether he's you know people question oh there's haters out there and stuff. But like most of the stuff is most of the stuff is centered around stop watching my fucking videos and do shit. Yeah, you know. But anyway, back to Vcon. Who reach out to you to go to Vcon so initially? I, so in the process of um, what's interesting is after my first Gary V video kind of popped off. Um, People in that social media space of like meme accounts and stuff who had big meme accounts reached out and said, you should lean into this, man. This is really funny. Gave me like, cause I was ready to sort of diversify and show all these different things, but it's like, like a lot you know, of when,
0: different impressions. Yeah.
1: Like when you have a hit song, like play the hit song. So yeah. I started doing all sorts of different sketches, parodies of Gary V, which eventually caught the attention of the team, the Gary, team, Gary Vee, The one thirty seven PM. 137 is, is like his more, it's not centered around Gary Vee himself. That's more general media stuff. Okay. Um, but Team Gary V is all things Gary V. There's like VaynerMedia, which is his ad agency, um, and then there's Team Gary V, which is his content, like his uh, his, I guess, social media brand. Um, and they started liking and sharing stuff. And members of that team would reach out to me, just like r- r- just rapport back and forth stuff like that. There have been talks about collaborations. Eventually, as I was just continually putting out stuff, so it kind of became undeniable. And then eventually. I don't think VCon was even, the thought was even developed yet as a, you know, it, it was I don't know when the, the idea of VCon came about, but as it did, I said, oh, there's a big conference coming up. That would be interesting. But I sort of just was put, like left it alone. And I, I had had a rapport with some of the members of the team. And then uh, someone who was coordinating the event reached out about this idea. And I pitched also some of my ideas about what would be funny. And together really with through, from dm instagramming to emails to discussions we thought of this idea of having this big opening thing and gary was very into it i think gary won like i I didn't pitch this to gary i think he was like i'd love to bring these guys i think i think it was his idea initially i don't know the exact source of it Mm -hmm. but everybody was on board to do this big opening uh of vcon in which me and another impersonator nima naz who's actually performing tonight and and I'm, I might be doing a spot also. Oh, here in yeah, the city, in the city. Yeah, okay. he's Toronto based, but he also does was known online for doing Gary Vee impressions, and we hadn't met yet, but we finally connected over Zoom, and we, uh, and I put together this opening sketch, and we opened the inaugural VCon <laughs> conference, all centered around Gary Vee's NFT projects called V Friends. So there's all of his fans and people there who all are part of the V Friends community. And they said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome CEO of Vaineria and V Friends, Gary Vaynerchuk. First guy comes out, it's not Gary, it's Nima Naz. He's like, hey, everyone, you know, I'm the the real Gary. I I came out, hold on one second, fucker. He's like, I'm Gary V series two. I came out, hold on one second, fucker. I'm Gary V series three. You know? And then we started, you know, we bit each other's nails. We did a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah so there'll yeah. be more footage rolling out. I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, unveiling throughout the weeks ahead. Amazing. But then Gary, and then at the end of it, I was like, honestly, like between the two of us, this is amazing. It's almost like who needs the original Gary V, right? <laughs> he comes out. And then there's three of us on stage. What an entrance. Did you meet him before you hopped on stage, though? Yeah. Yeah. We had like a green room powwow. Um, well, I just posted well, a video today. That, it, what was that like? You know, Gary is one of the few... I guess you'd call it celebrities that I've met that, you know, when you meet a celebrity in real life and all of a sudden they, they just kind of look different, act different, not in a bad way, but just, you're so used to seeing them dolled up, you know, after makeup, you know, in their element from like, uh, behind the screen and they have a certain look to them. And then you see them, you're like, okay, that's definitely Brad Pitt, but it's just not quite what I expected. Like, you know, he's not on production. You know what I mean? And then, uh, and then you meet them, so it just feels a little different. And Gary, I would have to say, was not that. Gary is exactly what you're watching. And then when you meet him, it was pretty close to what I expected, you know, and in a good way. Like you're like, oh, okay. It wasn't wasn't like all up in my face, but he he could tone it down. But it was it was that that what what you're what what's coming across as genuine on a, on your phone is kind of what it feels like in the room too, where you're you know what I mean. And I. I was expecting not necessarily that just because of encounters with people where it just always feels a little bit different than you're used to seeing them. They capture a certain essence of Gary, I think, in Team Gary V and all the stuff he puts out, that's that's pretty true to form.
0: Was he super supportive of you? doing impressions of him and then being at vcon and just holding the i guess like the gary v kind of personality accountable for how he really is like people who are watching him are like oh wow gary's really like that oh i mean i did it to his
1: face yeah and he was laughing and loving it i mean he's a jersey boy like me it's all we all just dig at each other so it's
0: hard to find people like that man especially since like i mean to start in an an inaugural event and have two people on stage making fun of you obviously in a fun way i mean it's got a gotta say something about your personality you know like Mm -hmm. gary loves the haters i mean he even talks about that like i I have empathy
1: for my haters i
0: remember even seeing gary videos probably like i don't know when did he first start making a real appearance on social media maybe like three or four years ago something like that definitely before the pandemic do you think that Mm. starting your tiktok before the pandemic like was a value to you like did you find any success on tiktok before the pandemic started
1: well, I started doing stuff consistently, I think it was like 2018, 20, 2019, 20, but it was all scattered and there was no real consistency to the actual content yeah, I was doing. Right. I was just, I was just trying everything, right? I was just trying things. So I could, I, I do like live looping music stuff, like, uh, um, you know, like, uh, <laughs> And like I can loop and do all this. Like it was musical stuff because that's the kind of stuff I was doing. Yeah. So I would put stuff like that out. I'd throw up a GoPro because I don't know how to shoot. So I would just say, Oh, GoPro is by default a cool looking shot. It makes everything look kind of cool. And it was this like really painful experience of throwing up a GoPro. I didn't know anything about frame rates and all these kind of things and running into those early mistakes, getting through that like painful part of something new. I'd put it up resting on a thing to try to catch me doing this. So in like 2019, I was throwing up Anything I could to just try to start to utilize these platforms a little differently. Um, And that was definitely pre-pandemic. But like I said, that was Instagram first. Is that like DJing? Looping? Yeah. Slightly like DJing, except you're creating everything in real time. You ever see like Reggie Watts or... a beardy man and there's a few other live looper guys. DJ stuff, you're working with pre-recorded music and kind of triggering different things.
0: You know, maybe I've also seen stuff like that on TikTok where there'll be like the best songs of the 90s, and yeah. then they'll do one through ten and he'll loop maybe back like into the songs. Yeah, like yeah, that. but
1: so with live looping, you're creating everything in real time, so you'll be like and then it's all builds and builds and builds, and you can play with it. Um and eventually I'll work that into my standup somehow to make like Reggie Watts styles. He's an inspiration of mine. What does your standup look like right now? It's pretty raw. It's just me doing some shtick. It's impressions and bits and jokes. And it's that standard kind of stuff, you know? Um, I'm in that process where like I, I am writing every single day. Uh, Cause it starts with that. And I heard like a, um, I heard an interesting, well, just to answer your question before in terms of like pre pandemic stuff, the TikTok yeah. stuff started, uh, When I started doing TikTok consistently, that was probably two months. That was early 20, late 2019 to early 2020 into 2020, which was leading to the pandemic. Nobody knew that. So I was just, I think, I don't remember when I started doing TikTok consistently, but it was around that time, 2019, late uh, into 2020, and then two months into like, I want to say February of 2020. That's when that Gary video happened and I was ready to start doing a ton of different, like really, I got it gave me that sort of confidence. wow! Like people are really responding to the impressions. It's amazing.
0: You think timing was on your side there to start right before everybody was stuck in their house for the next three months?
1: Yes and no. Like again, I was itching to go out and perform because I, I really identify as a performer totally. and uncomfortable performing, and I couldn't. So I was like, oh, yeah. But it did help me channel all my creative energies into making these videos and doing it. And maybe because there was an audience at home just on their phones on a, at a disproportionate level. I was hitting up Clubhouse rooms, trolling as Gary and Alex Jones and and, and Jordan Peterson. (laughs) What the fuck happened to Clubhouse, by the way? I thought that was going to be the new thing. It was during the pandemic, but Twitter spaces, I think, kind of. And then they were like, they
0: were like doing an invite only. So you thought it was exclusive to like do Clubhouse and stuff like that. So what do you think the best social media app is in order to get your, I don't want to say message
1: across, but maybe get your personality. Myspace absolutely fucking myspace (laughs) nostalgia bro is huge i've been saying that dude
0: i remember that you be on my top eight to throw you up right now yeah
1: yeah i uh (laughs) as gary v i tell people are you posting on linkedin great tiktok good myspace gotta go to fucking myspace venmo nostalgia dude post on venmo content there's no content on venmo (laughs) i banged a chick off venmo once (laughs) Undersaturated. post a video on venmo figure it out figure it out um, what's the best platform? I guess it depends yeah, yeah, yeah. it depends on what you do. I guess the best platform is the one you can use consistently. Well let's say for comics. To. Let's say for comics. Oh, for comedy. Think? I definitely think TikTok is great for comedy. I think it's like the
0: stand-up clips, it's the impressions, it's that 10 minute impression that you need to give off. So, so
1: there's always like a dominant one that everybody's on right now, and it seems like TikTok is the dominant One, it seems like Facebook is the last in line Mm -hmm. and it's for boomers and maybe if you're 30 and up, you still have your account and occasionally check it. But for content, Facebook seems very weak and very not organic. They put a lot of energy into just ads and you post stuff, it gets nowhere. And it doesn't seem like people are there. I don't use Snap. I know that's a certain like sliver of Gen Z are still like snapping. Uh, For written word stuff, Twitter is obviously, and people post videos on Twitter too, but the written word Twitter is like, that's what it's really geared towards. And Instagram has always been confused because it's trying to chase sort of every other platform and it keeps changing. So it used to be just like for images. Then it tried to do long form video to compete with YouTube, with IGTV. They changed that. Now it's reels, So they're a little scattered, but I still, I personally think Instagram is is the best balance of social and media, you know, because TikTok is not that social. It's and also,
0: more, sorry, I yeah. mean to interrupt you, but like, also I feel like, you know, like, you would go and you'd follow someone's Instagram. You know, like if you are tight with someone or you met them and you're like, oh, I want to see kind of what this person's right. doing, want to be involved in their life, maybe check out their stories day to day where they're doing comedy and stuff like yeah. that. You follow someone's Instagram. That's like the social kind of norm. You don't really follow someone's TikTok, really. I don't yes, think.
1: exactly. And also TikTok functions differently. Like TikTok has this for you page, which even your followers don't necessarily see everything you put out because everything still responds to some mysterious algorithm where if it performs well, it performs well and goes to followers and not followers alike. Instagram has, I still think it's, I still think is strong in that it's the standard and it's the way people, there's DM, the DMs and voice notes and sending people things. Right. It has the social component to it and the media component to it, whereas TikTok is really media and it's doing that better than everybody, like as a, as a as your own channel to broadcast everything. And YouTube I like for the option of also being able to do more long-form stuff and higher resolution stuff because I can do the short-form stuff and I throw up shorts too. So I'm posting on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. It's, it's really rare. usually the same stuff. If it's a short, I'm going across all three. Yeah. And then once a week, I try to do once a week if I can, once every other week, a longer video that's maybe four or five minutes with green screens and a whole thing. And it's that's exhausting, but I try to do that. If I have a a bit like a more high res sketch in mind,
0: do you think that this? I saw that TikTok came out with ten minute videos. Yeah. I mean, do you think that this is going to wipe out Instagram? Are people really going to put that much? I mean, content on TikTok in long
1: form like that? No YouTube, no Instagram. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not like good at the predictions of who. I just kind of know what's the only thing I can do is. Well, you
0: are good at predictions, right? You start. You were talking about Instagram and TikTok and all the social media stuff back in two thousand four. Right, that was the only one because because (laughs) I didn't want to. Because
1: that was the yeah that was the first time, I was aware of something, that wasn't standard yet. Like I was being made aware of this new thing TikTok, and instead of being an annoying like. Uh, older millennial about it and being like, ugh, another one I have to post on that's yeah. just a drag. What's this now? What's the instead I would try to be more positive and say, okay, what what's TikTok? Let's and I hated it when I first yeah, opened it. I, like, I was like eh, That's eh,
0: like also what a lot of comics, you know, like initially like I mean, I don't know if I was one of the later ones kind of on TikTok, but mm-hmm. I didn't get on TikTok until like at least nine or ten months after, right. you know, everyone really started getting onto it and people were going viral and mm-hmm. such. But we don't really see a lot of YouTube action in terms of like comics being on YouTube like you'll see the TikTok you'll see Instagram you'll see Twitter but I think like long form for comics I don't know there's not really a lot on YouTube it's like you're either doing a podcast or you're doing maybe some sort of show
1: vlog yeah like uh, Schultz is a good ambassador for YouTube because that's where he made that's where he built his audience I think the best social media one is the one that you can do consistently so you can build your audience and sometimes the universe is telling you like hey a lot of people are on TikTok so if you're going to try one and you haven't started anything try making TikTok and, and make your content, make what do what you do, and make it in the in, in the TikTok space, and see what happens. Andrew Schultz talked about how he built his audience off of YouTube because I don't think there was there wasn't anything yet. The only independent platform for broadcasting yourself was YouTube. Um, maybe Instagram was there, but it was still more. I think pictures. And when he was building up his audience via what Instagram. year would you say? I don't know the timeline, but I know I, I watched a TED talk that Schultz gave about how he would put up these like hour long sets and specials and no one would watch but then he would put up clips in the form of like two minutes and people would watch for four hours he started seeing that he talked about it on a show called colin and samir which is like they cover the creator economy it's like this youtube show and it was really interesting because he talked about how he you know he was he didn't want to act and he didn't want to go on the sitcom route which is like you're a road comic and then people come and see you because you were in a commercial or you did mtv or you had a sitcoms and that's how you drew crowds and then he was with like his nephew or something, and I'm getting the story a little bit wrong. But he was with his nephew who, who said like, "I want to watch the game. It's on. Uh, it's on ABC." He said, "Can you put it on?" And he's like, "Okay, what channel?" He said like ABC, and he's like, "Okay, what channel is that?" So the kid didn't even know what channel ABC was. And at that point, Andrew Schultz says he was like, "Okay, it's over. Like the network television world is is over. That's yeah. not where the attention's going. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go online."
0: I saw a clip that he yeah. said about that. Like Netflix is done. It's he's all like about I don't YouTube. act.
1: I don't act. I don't wanna act. I don't wanna act. <laughs> I don't wanna act and then he starts going like this and doing his podcast and you know? like I don't wanna act. Ah what the socks dude. This, this is my Schultz impression. <laughs> I don't wanna act I was like I was like factually I knew it was over and I had to go I had to go to YouTube. I was gonna do YouTube because I don't wanna act. I don't want act <laughs> um, but uh,
0: yeah he was a guy who's grown up with like a lot of comics that I was around for such a long time and yeah. then it just seemed like his podcast kind of just blew up I don't want to say overnight because I don't know how long so I don't I've think it really it did it
1: seems like it did but the real the I think his real grind was building up his audience by releasing these shorter stand-up bits, and then instead of people not watching an hour-long bit in its set in its entirety, they were watching four hours of him binging on YouTube. So we started to kind of understand right, 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 right. the YouTube formula early on in those days, and that's what was around. And I imagine if he was starting now at that point, he would be using TikTok to do the same thing. You notice a lot
0: of uh, comics nowadays, if they're not getting like a big network, I don't even want to say network TV now. If you're not Mm -hmm. getting a a Hulu, Amazon Prime or a Netflix special, people are putting it on YouTube. Yeah, Um, It's going to be interesting, I think, to see how many people just go to YouTube automatically. And you're seeing like a lot of the older comics, anyone who's not getting a, a, I guess we can say network TV deal is Mm -hmm. putting it on YouTube. I mean, is YouTube going to start paying more? How's it going to work? I know it's like, $10,000 per million views. And that obviously changes from creator to creator. But um, I mean, is YouTube just going to take over TV? I mean, I personally really only watch YouTube these days. Like I I find that I can just go from video to video. And then the recommended is taking over my attention.
1: My understanding is YouTube already has won and taken over from TV. I was with recently, I was doing this, like uh, the shoot for content um, with these, Guys in their early twenties who grew up only watching YouTube, they did not watch TV. They watched Mr. Beast, you know. I love Mr. Beast. Yeah, so they, that's what they watched. Those were their shows growing up. That's that's the culture they grew up on. There wasn't TV culture. There weren't shows that they watched. They watched YouTube. So it's, it's already one. And it's I mean, I mean I, I, unless you have premium, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's but I'm just saying in terms of the dominant space, like. That has become the mainstream. Now, how YouTube compensates its creators, I think they're one of the better ones at it because you actually get paid and share in the revenue of AdSense. Um, if you're monetizing your videos, you are sharing in that ad revenue with YouTube. And it's all a matter of, I think it's a matter of degree in terms of how much of a following you have and how many hours you're commanding of people on the platform, you're getting more money for it. Um And then I think it's really about leveraging that audience to either come to live shows, buy merchandise, do these other things. Just like we're in the space now where everything is paid by third party, like the direct service you're not paying for, but everything else is. So if you have an audience, if you have millions and millions of eyes on you, you have the ability to turn that into a sustainable career because whether it's brand deals, whether it's ticket sales, whether it's all these things, whether it's just purely on the volume of views, you can make money on your content.
0: So how mm-hmm. comfortable Are you on stage now How much time do you think You could do If somebody was like Alright AJ Get up there And do as much time As you're comfortable with
1: mm. Like tonight in Brooklyn Yeah Tonight in Brooklyn Well, well I, I, know, know, I know tonight It in Brooklyn all depends on the like sh- 10 minutes, It but. all depends on the shtick I stayed in character At VCon for hours And I was totally fine <laughs> And I'm very comfortable With like improv What do you mean shit. Just like walking around Totally I trolled the whole conference Just giving horrible advice What's up fuckers I was like Okay I know you guys Are waiting for series one But series three is here To answer all of your Fucking questions right So ask me Anything you want, and people would just come up to me, and it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so I um, did an
0: interview with Sean Malay. Sean Malay came on the podcast. You guys remember that episode? I, I like remember Sean. He's four four weeks really, ago. Sean's got a really good voice like <laughs> this. You know? yeah.
1: Gary, can I, I, I get a, a raise? A, <laughs> I'm thinking about getting a raise. So I'm thinking about doing those. Thinking about doing that. Sean's a good guy. I have seen that he does like stand up in the New York scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on. doing
0: he's doing our show next to, or tomorrow. If you guys, by the way, Ted Jones comedy show. Check the link in this YouTube video. That's pretty cool. I and mean, he's got a
1: really husky voice. I didn't even see that coming. But I. um, <laughs> um <laughs> Think about Askerman. I mean, that's going to be a hard fucking no, Dick, because you asked with expectation. Yeah, we had fun. That was cool. He took me down to the uh, 137 room, I th- or whatever it was, and we did a little post game interview as Gary and as myself. Hilarious. Yeah, um, they have that.
0: They have that um, new coffee shop that I visited yeah. the other week, 137
1: p.m. Yeah, yeah. But again, my, my stand, stand-up world for me, I'm just I'm in that process of you know, there. I heard a uh, Jerry Seinfeld was on the Tim Ferriss show and was talking about his process of, you know, good stand-up first and foremost revolves around good writing, which sounds obvious, but you know, you watch a lot of these guys that are loose up there and they're kind of doing crowd work and they're doing all these things. So you assume, oh, you just get up there and do it. But I know better that there's a very, it's hard to decipher, but it reminds me of like in the early days playing with bands, there were guys like, let's just jam. Let's just jam like these jam bands and it would all just fall apart. Because if you're not like at a high level of preparedness or everything is really crafted and worked out, you're not in a position to play and get loose mm-hmm. you know all of a sudden there's a big difference between you know going to a fish show and watching them improvise and get loose and get experimental but they have a huge they have like a foundation of what that allows
0: done. them to get loose so
1: i'm building that foundation now you know and i'm just writing on a daily basis coming up with the premises and writing it and testing it out live and i just i'm in that process now of just wanting as much stage time as possible to get to get familiar more familiar with the process of a joke that feels funny when you're writing it how it experiments in the lab live, taking it back, refining it. And, uh, and yeah, depending on the bit, like my sets can be much longer because if I can, I can, you know, when I'm in like the impression zone and that space, yeah. if I was doing something that called for it, or where people understood with impressions, it's a little tricky because impressions can be really great standup or they could also be a party trick, you know? So you, it's really about the writing and and how you're setting up an impression that makes it really work well. And if an audience isn't familiar with it, that's a harder sell and harder to work out. You could still make it work. But again, um, I'm really focused on the writing process of working, of working everything out to its, you know, strongest presentation. So where do you think you're at right now? I don't know. I don't know. I I have no idea tonight. I'm probably doing 10 minutes. Yeah. Something like that. And you're comfortable with that. No, but I'll do it. <laughs> um, I'm not ready to do like a half hour and I have more than five minutes. I guess that's what I'll say. So like cool. I have a lot of material, like a ton of stuff, but not not enough. I, I, I haven't given it every everything enough stage time to know where everything is in its final form. So they're all like these things that I, I think that I know will work. I just need to give them all the proper stage time. And the problem is like when... There's a there's a there is a um, discrepancy between wanting to do like your tight five or tight seven over and over again so you know how much it could get, but also wanting to do new stuff. Yeah, you know. So like, what happens is you try new stuff and then like you kind of default to what you've yeah. done a thousand and go- times. And it goes
0: back to what you're saying, the foundation. You know, whether it's like, I mean, for the most part, I do stand up sets in this mirror every mm-hmm. single day, and even if I don't have a show, I kind of yeah. notice like, oh, this particular thing was funny at this open mic in front of my mirror here at my apartment so let's go and try it here and then if it works how I think it's going to work then I can add on during the show or whatever yeah I'm
1: curious about that tell me about like so you've been doing stand-up how long
0: well I have been in the stand-up game for probably like three and a half years now where Mm -hmm. I've just been doing sets like I started getting super serious about it 13 months ago like I told you after I retired from my dad's company but (laughs) I was taking improv classes for years like in college uh, back here at UCB, and then right before the pandemic happened, I took 101, 201, 301, 401, which are like you never the four feel less funny than in an improv class, right? At least,
1: <laughs> yeah. because yeah. wow. well, the, um, so- the teachers are all like, "Okay, that was really funny." I'm like. Yeah, or it's usually tough, human man. beings laugh, but I guess I'll take. yeah, yeah, that
0: yeah. or it's tough sometimes, you know, you just like want to be funny. And like the thing about improv is like be as normal as mm-hmm. possible, which yes, is tough. Because like, yeah, exactly. And things on the stage, you're like, oh, this is too normal shit. We got to do something funny. And that those are the things that kill. I things took. The, yeah, the most I, normal. I, I took
1: one. T- there's always people like you can come across different people. And there's those people who in everything that they say are trying to prove that they're, they're supposed to be totally. There. And you're like, it, it's okay, man. It's okay. Like, You don't have to like fart when you talk. You know what I mean? (laughs) So switching
0: from improv to stand up really was, I'd say good portion of it was just because I wanted more stage time after the pandemic. You Mm -hmm. know, like UCB closed down in New York City. So I was devastated because of that. And I was supposed to be on the Lloyd team right around March, 2020. Mm -hmm. Lloyd is like you perform every other week in front of a huge stadium. I thought it was great stadium. It's like in Hell's Kitchen, a hundred people, whatever. Yeah. Uh, But I wanted to just... Get more stage time. Tomato, and, and, tomato. And, it, and in order to do that, I mean, I really just needed to start doing stand up more. And mm-hmm. stand up in the city, ever since the pandemic, it really feels like it came back hotter than ever. You know, people yeah. love live performances. And um, during the pandemic, I went over to Asylum NYC, which is a few blocks away. And I just reached out to the artistic director there when shows were first coming back. I was like, hey, man, can I put together a show? He was like, yeah, OK. Like, you want to come check out the theater? And I was like, yeah, I went and toured the theater. I was like, oh, yeah. Like, he was like, oh, so you probably know that this is the green room. This is this. This is that. And I've never been to the theater before. So mm-hmm. I was kind of like not playing dumb, but I was kind of playing coy. Like, OK, I've never been here before. But this mm-hmm. guy thinks that I'm a big time so com- comedian it. setup setup yeah. guy. Uh, so I put together a show nine comics there were like 65 people there everyone that i knew came. how did you
1: fill this how did you fill the seat
0: just honestly i think switching from my job as being like a property manager people i don't know if they wanted to support or they kind of just wanted to see what was going on and also like so people it was, who
1: knew you you were able. yeah to it was pull.
0: people that knew me and also uh one of the first shows coming back from pandemic people all wanted to go and sure. see live comedy so the theater was at like 75 percent We filled it up with 65 people, which felt like a ton. And then after I set up that first show... The owner of The Stand reach out Or I reached out to him I was like Dude you gotta come to one of my shows Like they're sick Like I'm doing comedy now So he's like Why don't you put together your show With uh, The Stand He's an Italian guy mm-hmm. I don't know how good Italian that was Whatever so This like, fucking Dude, guy Dude, This fucking guy mm-hmm. Dead Jones <laughs> So uh put together a show Two weeks later After that first show At Asylum And then ever since then I've just been putting together shows And getting more stage time So initially it was Putting together the Ted Jones comedy show and mm-hmm. just kind of acting like I knew what I was doing because like sure. I've been in the comedy game like I've known people who've done comedy for so many years like my good friend Julio Gallerati who's friends with Jeremy Parker they went to right. BU together uh-huh. um, I've just been following him around for sh- at shows like he's five years older than me as soon as I graduated college in 2014 mm-hmm. I was just following him f- following him around I met so many comics. So uh, people in the comedy game like knew who I was. It was just like, when am I going to start? And when, like, when am I going to get up there?
1: How do you get over imposter syndrome? Be an imposter for a while until you're not. Like uh, yeah,
0: it's a, it kind of felt like that. People, is, people just knew who I was just because I was around so mm-hmm. much. And I had met people four years before I even shared the same stage with them. So
1: you weren't even doing like the mic circuit? You went straight to just booking these shows yeah, and doing man. the shows in front yeah. of real audiences? I'd say so. Because I found that that's interesting, too. When I started yeah. doing mics... I remember like the first set I did in front of people. I don't remember. I, I think it was when I, when I had, I had done like some some live comedy stuff. But for, going from like working stuff out at mics, I'd be like, man, okay. And then I showed up at a set. A friend of mine was performing uh, at Brooklyn Comedy Club, and I did a set. You know, hey, can you do seven minutes? Then I'm like, yeah. And I got up, and I'm like, oh, people are laughing. Like, oh. The stuff is funny, but yeah. you'll never know coming from a mic because it's just,
0: it's a mic. F- I get nervous, man. Yeah. I mean, like, it's I'm, all comics. I'm, I'm hitting a mic tonight. Sean Malay is going to be there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's all comics. You know, like when you are at an open mic, I think people kind of, people sometimes shy away just from like looking at your phone and reading the jokes. But I find that that's the best way to really improve at an open mic you're mm-hmm. like okay here are eight jokes that i have that i wrote this week let's read them and see if these guys think it's funny
1: i've always tried to not bring the notes not because i knock it but i'm always uh-huh. trying to practice not having notes right well at that particular time i actually want to test note. it yeah, yeah
0: i'll get the note if i get a laugh okay let's go let's work at it in front yeah. of this mirror and then if i don't get a laugh i'm like eh, well let's try it again so mm-hmm. i think having the notes have helped me and then also i have found sometimes that if i do mic in the past and I wasn't getting any laughs in the first two minutes or something, I would just go back to old material that I was comfortable
1: with. That's what was happening. So I'm like, well, I I should not be doing this. I didn't get to test the new bit at all.
0: Exactly. But I think also going from Ted Jones comedy show to other open mics, like, I had a point where I was like, all right, I cannot get nervous. Like Mm -hmm. I don't even have the time or thought process to get nervous here. So it's kind of changed where now when I go to um, like a show that somebody else's, I get more nervous than I would at any Ted Jones comedy show Mm -hmm. just because I'm like, I have to bring the heat to Ted Jones comedy show. And while like my set, my 12 to 15 minute set is probably 70% of the same that it was the time before that, I find myself Constantly trying to. And bring what's in your new minute events. mark
1: that you feel like it's tight? Every line is boom, boom, boom. Let I, me hear you say, way-o, way-o.
0: Nobody's asked that, bro. No. And, and I've asked this question, like how many, yeah. how comfortable uh, guests are. But I think, like, I think I can go in there and knock out a 20 minute set, right. knock it out of the park. Nice. Uh, I would. I, if somebody was like, "All right, Ted, go up there for thirty minutes," I'd be like, eh, "All right, okay, crowd but work. I could go up there." Yeah, exactly. Right. Crowd work, stretching, and, and th- yeah, and I think hosting has really helped that. Yeah, you know, sure. like just going on stage, showing the most energy, and like even watching back some of my sets, like I tape all my sets. Right. If it didn't go as well as I thought, maybe I lose a few words during the jokes. I'm always looking for my energy to be super high because that's right. what like the audience feeds off of. Like mm-hmm. people will just laugh just from like the body movements that I made at that particular time or the facial expression. So I think that I'm giving myself more of an opportunity to allow the audience to laugh at me or with me, whatever. I think that improv has really helped me with that. Right, you know, like right. I'm just going around, I'm doing normal things, saying normal things. Okay. There's a funny moment here. Oh, that person in the crowd is wearing glasses. You have four eyes. Ah, uh, it's funny, whatever. Yes. Obviously that mm-hmm. person doesn't actually have four eyes, mm-hmm. but I think being normal and giving yourself the largest opportunity to
1: have the crowd enjoy your presence on stage, and when what are the tall tell signs of like a noob comic and a seasoned comic? What I've noticed, you can answer that too. I've noticed it's like I've caught myself in earlier sets, like using filler words that are signs that I'm not com- confident in the bit, as opposed to just silence. Exactly,
0: being like I don't know, saying a, saying a joke and then somebody doesn't laugh and you're like uh, I don't know, yeah. standing still, doing double hands on the mic. I think standing still is also a. Good, a good tell sign that somebody's out comfortable on stage. That's why like, I mean, I'm very active on stage. To The uh, fault sometimes yeah. where like my dad will come to a show, and be like, Ted, you need to stop moving around so much, <laughs> just because like I'm going from ten feet that way, ten feet that way, and when it's a huge stage, yeah, yeah. it could be great. But like, it also sometime- depends on who
1: came before and after, and where the dynamic of the audience is. Yeah, like, exactly. What it well,
0: for the most part, like at my shows, I'll have like a beatboxer, Dr. Brick, um, mm-hmm. like you were kind of doing before. Mm-hmm. He'll come up, he'll do three to four minutes of beatboxing, give it off the host of Ted Jones or a podcast, Ted Jones blog, Ted Jones, hey! and then hey! boom, 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 everyone's going nuts. I'm freaking firing boom. up the crowd. Exactly. Dude, you might have to uh, we might take Maybe Dr. We'll, Brick's job, dude.
1: Maybe we'll do a little uh, we'll do a little duel. I would love that.
0: But um, um I think it's just a matter of being comfortable on stage and having as many kind of dynamic ways about you. You know there's so many great one-liner comedians. You look at guys like Jim Gaffigan who's so different from Kevin Hart who's Maybe not so much different than um, I A, don't know. Kat I was Williams. watching
1: Tim Caffigan the
0: other day. Uh, tell me about fried bread. <laughs> he did the Ted Jones comedy show, by the way. One time I was Jim? freaking the fuck out. Yeah, oh, when he here, came. right in this room, at, um, <laughs> at uh, the stand at the stand in New York City. So they have... um, Oh,
1: it's great writing. You could just see it. It's a really great, great writer. Yeah,
0: they have people stop by all the time over there. He's always kind of yawning and then gets deeper. (laughs) And that's an example of a guy who, like, you see him and he's so quick with his jokes, but maybe you'd see him and you'd be like, that's a specific type of comic because it's hard to kind of do that particular type of comedy and be comfortable up there and know that your jokes are going to hit. Not right. that you don't have to make a facial expression to make your jokes hit. Do kind of an act out to make your mm-hmm. jokes hit. So I do have so much appreciation for that, but I think there's so many different
1: types of comedy course, these days, man. And you know what I find interesting is it's unfortunate, but it's like, I think I just saw Mark Norman talking about this, where he's, you know, he's like, there, there's no... Mentorship or school I or craft with comedy. It's like, comedy. You just kind of oh, just write the joke and then oh, it doesn't Then don't comedy, comedy. But you just, more that like with you know coming from the music world, he described it like you know this is how you play an A, this is how you play a C, this is C minor. Move the finger this way. This technique is wrong. Try it this way. There's a lot of that, and that seems almost faux pas in comedy. Like educate. I mean, it's not once you get into the game, but it's not as I find that it's not as expressed openly. People craft, don't take comedy classes. People yeah. take music classes. Yeah, and it's like the craft of joke writing is a real thing. And yet other than the sh- learning on the streets, other than like just being in the clubs and f- talking with friends and running bits by each other, you know, I'm very much my creative mind is very sort of technical. I like taking things apart. Like that's funny, why is it funny? What what worked about it? Turning the word up this way, pausing before I hit this line. You know, so I'm very the same way I am with music. Like I like I like the conceptual stuff and like hearing a chord that's beautiful. Why is it beautiful? What is going on? Let me demystify it so that I can recreate it. So I'm trying to apply that process to comedy, but there's just less, you know, there's less traditional educational approach to comedy. It's more like get out there, put yourself through it, and then kind of figure it out. Totally.
0: Because, I mean, to be honest, if I was going up there and I was trying to kind of do the same stuff as Jim Gaffigan, I don't know. I don't think I would be as successful, you know, just looking right for the punchline 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 and there's just so many different types you go to all these these shows you see uh, so many different types of comics and that's the beautiful thing about comedy man like you can go to a show uh, you can go to a free show in brooklyn Mm -hmm. on a thursday night at 10 p.m and you can laugh harder than you've ever laughed before which is an amazing thing and i i really do think that improv helped me so much in taking the leap to stand-up comedy just because like i had a background in Trying to act as normal as possible while going on stage and being as crazy
1: as possible. And how about your bomb to not bomb ratio?
0: Um, I would say that. When did you see that chain? Yeah, that's interesting, man. I, I'd say that I'm bombing a lot less when I am going up and doing the stuff that I know will work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll bomb maybe more. So I, I wouldn't say I bomb that much, but I would say like some of the material. Won't work or bomb when I'm not prepared and I haven't right. done it before in front of a crowd. So I'd say like I've gotten to the point where I'm super comfortable with 70% of my set always mm-hmm. like no matter where I am. But then there's that 30% that I'm either going to try and tweak some stuff or maybe I'll miss out on right. some of that 70%.
1: I had a set that I was proud of because it was certainly it, it was definitely a bomb, but it, I wasn't bothered by it because I did what I was supposed to do. In a way, and I know it's the comedian's job to get the audience on their side and all of that, but I also didn't shy away from any of the bits. I leaned into them more, and I and I think it was it was happened to be an odd kind of room, you know. For yeah, a stand that up also happened where they're sitting. And there's not a lot of people, so it doesn't have that like contagious laughter mm-hmm. energy. And I was doing some kind of certain impression stuff and specific stuff, and and the crowd was a little more woke was it like
0: higher higher ceilings?
1: A little bit. It was just a, it was just a little it was like a theater kind of room kind of thing, but it was also like um I think I did like a Jordan Peterson impression and the crowd was very woke and really hated Jordan Peterson and I wasn't I like love crap that and, guy. you know so I was like <laughs> it's Is this controversial guy? shit. But. No, I think I said something to the effect of, you know, <laughs> I did a Gary Vee bit where I said, you know, I tried to do a thing where it was like Gary Vee's amazing because people ask him all sorts of complicated questions and he gives very simple answers. Someone will come and say, you know, Gary, my house is being foreclosed on and my wife left me, my business is falling apart. I don't know what to do. Humility. That's fucking amazing. Humility. Like that's his answer. Humility. And then Jordan Peterson's the opposite where he gives incredibly uh, he gives incredibly complicated answers to very simple questions. So people will be like, Jordan, how are you? Ah, well, you know, it's like I don't really like <laughs> I don't really like the way the question is formulated. What do you mean by how? You know, that all depends on the various archetypal presuppositions of how and are and being. You know, you can be talking about one's physical self, but there's also a soul. And it's like So that's what I would say. So you're like, you know, I tried to stitch that together. But the audience really hated Jordan. And then and then what I did was because that was like my closing bit, which has done really well in other crowds. I just did a new one to end it. I went into a new bit entirely. I'd never even mic'd or it out before, uh, which was like Johnny Depp, Amber Heard related. It was off the top. Over here. Yeah, yeah, which did well. So I was like, you know, so. And my my point is, this set was had its weird moments, but I kind of just leaned into them and did a, like a trust connect kind of thing. Yeah, trust the bits, go through with it, lean into them a little harder. Don't sh- don't let it. Don't let the silence sort of like defeat you or be this weight you know kind of push through and then it, it kind of did work so i was yeah, happy you with really that. have to like appreciate the silence bomb. sometimes <laughs> yeah
0: successful bomb as long as you know like you are you've done the most up there and yeah sometimes the quietness i think is like to address it yeah. or to even know that like oh yeah that one in particular wasn't great even letting the audience know that you're in the you know you're human with them mm-hmm. i think and that and, helps with improv too. and haven't
1: you ever watched a comedian bombing but you're cracking up like, you ever watch a recording yeah. of a set and no one's laughing? But yeah. You're like, this is the funniest shit ever. Yeah.
0: Like, even at smaller shows, like, sometimes yeah. I'll watch comics and they'll be going through new bits. And then at the end of the bit, if no one laughs, they're like, all right, well, we're taking that one back. Like, that yeah, is yeah. funny in itself. Yeah. You know, yeah like, yeah. making fun of the joke itself. So people sometimes people sometimes don't get that you can do that. You're allowed to be human up there. You're allowed to bring up your phone or check a note at Mm -hmm. a particular time. Maybe not when you're like a huge showcase or a huge show in a big theater, Netflix or whatever, but for the most part, you're always going up there and always trying to be funnier from the last time. If you
1: watch like really good Bill Burr sets and specials, like there's always these moments where he just calls it out. Look how awkward it is in here right now. Dude. And everyone, and it's like he, he just leans right into that space. So that's always been something that stuck out to me. It's like you watch... Remember, Billboard did SNL and you're like, it's so uncomfortable. He did SNL, he hosted a few months ago, and he mm-hmm. talked about he talked. He just did his thing. And in an SNL kind of wokey crowd, they didn't know what to do with it. So there was like these scattered laughter. And he's like, What? Dude. And the monologue? Dude, yeah. Dude, what? I mean, come on. Dude, <laughs> dude. <laughs> you know, you women were sitting in the hot tub right there with us. And you took your little Gucci boot, you stuck it over here, <laughs> you know, started doing And it's just, but me as the audience, watching from a computer i'm dying even if the audience in front of him might he might say well i was bombing on SNL." like you know i don't know if he would say that but you know the point is sometimes it's not the comedy you know so i always have that debate in my mind like is it the comedian's job to always get the like to crush the room or is it you know just this i don't know i don't know that's a deeper question no
0: that is a deep that is a deep question because i i mean it's just uh i think you got to do what you have been planning on doing you know Mm -hmm. go up there and expect to do what you've been practicing and doing for so long
1: right right
0: yeah aj so. thank you so much for coming on the ted jones world podcast ted. guys this guy is freaking hilarious if you guys couldn't tell by watching this video or listening and yes we do have video on spotify how exclusive apple podcast amazon music wherever you guys listen to this podcast make sure you leave a review write a comment and follow this guy aj why don't you give him uh give him the deets please
1: uh follow me at aj comedy on all platforms tiktok Instagram stroke it stroke it stroke <laughs> it A little hetero love right there AJ dash comedy on Instagram TikTok YouTube also Ami Kozak official that's the other name sometimes people can't find it but anyway Twitter Instagram TikTok YouTube AJ dash comedy Ami Kozak official Ted thanks for having me and AJ will get
0: to the Ted Jones comedy show July we'll figure out which date right sounds good well, AJ thank it. you so much bro
1: and guys we'll see you soon peace